Welcome to For What It's Worth, a podcast from Raymond James, designed to help you plan, invest, and live smarter. Hi, listeners, and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Paige Lenson. We're glad to have you with us. You can find this episode and more For What It's Worth on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and RaymondJames.com. Today's topic is an exciting one. I've been personally looking forward to it. We are talking all about chat GPT and generative AI, artificial intelligence. Earlier this year, chat GPT became the fastest consumer application in history to hit 100 million users. We're going to learn why its popularity has been so explosive, what efficiencies it might unlock for businesses and consumers, and what related risks may still need to be worked through. I'm pleased to introduce our featured guest. He'll be sharing his individual perspective on this technology. I'm joined in the studio today by Raymond James IT Head of Innovation, Kemal Kvakic. Kemal, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Paige, thank you for having me. Uh, It's a pleasure for me to be here and talk to you about this uh, interesting technology. I'm excited to jump right into this. It's, it, it is a really engaging topic. Can you get us started with a little bit of an overview? What is ChatGPT and the technology behind it? Sure. Let's, let's start with the basics, right? So ChatGPT is generally a, a chat solution that's available either on a website or on, on your mobile app or the application. On a surface, it looks like just something we've used in past, but behind the scenes, it's really a lot different, right? So if I was to search that same question on the internet, uh, I would probably get an answer something similar to uh, ChatGPT's generative AI that uses large language models, or LLM, and it provides human-like response to, to the questions you ask it. Uh, GPT stands for Generative Pre-trained Transformer, which in machine learning world and field is a transformer model in neural networks that learns the context, and thus the meaning behind the relationships in data. Now, to many of your listeners, this really means nothing, right? But this is where the beauty of ChatGPT comes in. This is where the ChatGPT is different to, to what we've seen in past. It has an ability to play different roles. So if you were to ask the same question to ChatGPT, say, explain yourself or explain what ChatGPT is, and you get this answer, and you read it, and you say, well, I really didn't understand any of that stuff. Can you explain to me in a different form? Let's say you want to, hey, I'm a financial advisor. Explain it to me like I'm financial advisors. Or I'm a developer or I'm a lawyer or even better, I'm an eight-year-old. Right? I mean, let's put a story behind it and explain to me what you really are. The response you will get is more words that, that are really not explaining much, but give you the context. So respond might be something like, ChatGPT is like a really smart computer that can talk to you, that understands you, that knows what you're going to say, and you can talk to it back, and it will give you human-like response, right? So it's completely different to what I just explained to you, and that is true power of ChatGPT. Now, a couple of things and interesting facts. Of course, it runs off of artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence has been around for 30 plus years. So this is not really anything new here in this space. But a couple of fun facts. It runs off of 2021 data. And some people don't know that or don't realize that. So there's anything that happened post-2021, they will probably not get the answer or maybe not accurate answer. Um, And uh, it runs off of internet data. So it has one, one of the main sources is internet data. Um, 
it's been founded by a company called OpenAI. And there's been, they found this in 2015. A lot of billionaires came in and said, let's put something together. There's a lot of them. I think people to worth mentioning is Sam Altman, Reid Hoffman, Jessica Livingstone. There's quite a few. And of course, Elon Musk as well. Uh, he has resigned from his post. Um, uh, there's a lot of, if you search for that, you'll, you'll hear different responses on to why, but uh, the rumor has it that he's actually trying to come, come up with his own version of ChatGPT and compete with this technology in this space. Um, and then one really interesting for me, but for many maybe scary fact could be that engineers that built this technology really don't understand sometimes why it gives the answers that it does. So I do hope through our conversation today we'll be able to explore this uh, uh, technology further and I'll be able to answer more, more questions. Let's talk a little bit more about the difference between this and what we've seen before. I happened to be chatting with my parents about this upcoming episode and was excited about it and they hadn't heard of ChatGPT. So I tried to just explain the basics to them. You can ask it whatever you want and it'll answer your questions and you can get into detail. And their first response was, oh, that sounds like Alexa. And I was like, well, it, it's more than that. But I, I think there may be some listeners who think the same thing. This sounds like search engines or chatbots that I'm already familiar with. How yeah. is ChatGPT different? So you're absolutely right. I think without going into really underneath on how the, the engine kind of runs and how this technology runs, I will say fundamentally it's the way you interact with your traditional chat capabilities, be it Alexa or anything, or Siri or even a website when you go to, uh, to your banking account and you see a little chat capability. Um, it's the way the data and the answers are being provided to you. A lot of current traditional chat capability has this thing called intents. So we as developers would have to create these intents and predict what you're trying to ask it and then match that to an answer behind the scenes. So it's almost like a, a relationship data that we have to maintain. So if you ask it, let's say you're asking um, a question of moving account data from one account to another account. If I didn't code it to recognize the intent of your question, you probably, and your listeners, and I know I have as well, will probably get an answer is, I'm sorry, but I don't understand. Well, you don't understand it because there was no intent behind it. We did not expect that question to come up. So that's one. The second piece is how does the data relate or how we get this data? In regular, traditional, even Alexa, if you ask it a question, it will go and find the text that it finds on the internet and it will read that text verbatim. Now, flip that around. ChatGPT doesn't have that. ChatGPT takes a lot of data that's available on the internet, summarizes it, and gives you the artificial intelligent response to conclusion of what it learned based on the data that it had. So, it, and that's the major difference is the, the ability to, and I mentioned earlier, is the ability to interact with it and say, I did not understand that. Can you generate different response to me? Or can you give me non-technical terms what that really means? And so you can go back and forth. And there's a lot of interesting things where people actually writing movies and plots with ChatGPT being the second actor behind the scenes and generating this text. So uh, capabilities, of course, from behind the scenes, drastically different than what we, what we are traditionally used to. What do you think has made it grow so fast? We saw just in January of this year, 2023, it passed 100 million users, fastest growing consumer application to date. What has made it so popular so quickly? 
Yeah, I, I think you mentioned earlier AI. So, of course, it's all about AI, right? So AI has been around for a very long time. Um, other companies, big companies, Facebook, Google, Apple, have tried this in past as well, and they still are. There's, um, you know, there's a lot of products that they're trying to release now. Um, what really made it uh, po so popular is ease of use. Uh, to us, IT that have been in this space, when they came out, yeah, it was great. It was cool, uh, but a lot of us knew the power of what it was trying to accomplish. Uh, Non-techie uh, uh, users, this was the first time they've seen the power of AI. Uh, it was mainstream as well. Media covered it pretty well. Uh, and and so th I think those are the kind of the top two, in my opinion, on why it became so popular. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, other companies have tried this. There was a lot of you know the rep behind the scenes on a uh, how biased is it going to be, and there's a lot of stories behind this on a lot of big companies getting in trouble because you know they've 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 been producing wrong results or categorizing wrong images. So there's a lot of PR issues with it, and OpenAI has spent a lot of time and energy to govern and police the output so they don't get in trouble. Uh, from a PR perspective, um, and let's face it, uh, uh, OpenAI is a fairly new company in, in grand scheme of things, and so they didn't have a lot to lose in this in this space as much as other bigger companies do. And I mentioned earlier, right now we know uh, uh, Bing uh, is using uh, ChatGPT in their uh, uh, answers. Uh, Google has something called Bard that they are playing with and trying to release. And so, as you can see, movement is happening, um, but. Yeah, it's it's mainly just ease of use, mainstream, um, non-techie users being really shocked and surprised on how powerful this tool is um, and hype. But there's 100 plus different companies now in this space. So we'll see what's going to be in six months right now. Is it still going to be ChatGPT or yet another product that's even better than that? You mentioned there is so much buzz around this, both with just average users and among companies. We saw, just as one example, Microsoft announced that it's going to be incorporating this technology into its Office suite, which so many of us use Outlook, PowerPoint, Word, Excel. In what other ways or in what other industries have you seen companies expressing their interest in making use of this? Yeah, you're right. So Microsoft uh, is another maybe fact about OpenAI and ChatGPT is a 40% investor in this technology. I believe it's about $10 billion investment that they've done so far. And since then, they actually released something called Microsoft 365 Copilot, which we at Raymond James IT are actually exploring this further. Um, and so big players are in this space, and they're definitely, I foresee almost all of our products, not just Microsoft products, have some level of charge GPT capability that uh, we're going to be able to use. Now, from uh, an interest from, you know, maybe, you know, firms that are in the same space as Raymond James, there's definitely efficiency gains. How can we use this technology to make our clients more efficient? And that's definitely something that we in IT are looking at this technology as well on. Can we take certain procedures? Can we take certain documents or text and context? Can we summarize that and provide answers faster? Um, we heard, you know, some big firms in our sector as well providing this uh, to their uh, financial advisors as well on on similar concepts around training these models or training these robots to, instead of going against the internet, which I mentioned earlier, 2021 data, but instead you can refocus that and say, 
let's not go against the internet data, let's go against my own data and summarize this data for us. So there's a lot of movement, but honestly, from an industry perspective, everybody's looking into this. It's not just financial or healthcare. Um, you know, they've been talking a little bit about research and cancer research institutes and how can they take these results that ChatGPT and feed it into ChatGPT and see if they can make sense of it because there's so much data out there. Uh, and, and, and so there's, I feel like there's going to be a lot of movement in this space. I think there's going to be a lot of use cases. We at Raymond James are partnering with our business partners to see how they can use it, where they're using it today, and how we can imp integrate that in our services as well. So uh, time will tell, but uh, it's early on and now, but there's a lot of really potential, a lot of use cases. Uh, and as I said, uh, a lot of products will have that integrated into their solutions. Uh, I'm excited about Microsoft 365 Copilot for sure because uh, writing those we lookups in Excel spreadsheet, even me as a developer, I still have to Google it to figure out how to do it. And I feel this technology will, will make it happen for us where we'll be able to in plain English say, uh, create me a VLOOKUP uh, against this worksheet on this file and th uh, this column and this column and it will just do it for you. So. That makes me feel better knowing all the times that I Google reminding myself how to do, you know, <laughs> yes. VLOOKUPs and, and different things in Excel that I'm not the only one. A anytime we hear the words together of technology and efficiency and artificial intelligence, the question tends to come up, is this going to replace jobs? Is this going to th take the role that workers are, are already doing? How do you see that playing out? You know, when I joined Raymond James five years ago, I was brought in to stand up robotic process automation, which we have successfully running for five years now. That was number one concern that everybody had is, uh, will this replace my job? Uh, in five years now, we replaced the zero jobs um, because any technology, and I mean, I'll go back to, you know, long time ago, industrial revolution, when it happened, that was the same thing where people are saying is, well, I'll, there goes my job because now it's all steam engines and stuff like that. Technology, even though it becomes scary, technology should be seen in light of upskilling. I do see that there will be certain tasks that uh, there's some analysts that are coming out and saying 7% of jobs will be eliminated. Uh, maybe the work that you do on a daily basis will be eliminated, but that will give you an opportunity to upskill yourself, to learn, to do something different, to do something more thought-provoking. Uh, another analysis says that uh, because of this, developer productivity will be 50% or user productivity will go up by 50%. Uh, because you're going to have more time to maybe take take that certification that you wanted to take, but you couldn't because you were too busy. So there really is, I feel, my personal opinion, that there's no risk when it comes to losing the job. Uh, I think this will be a, a, a positive um, impact to us all by by giving us more time to to educate ourselves, to learn something new, and to upskill to, to upskill what we have today. How prevalent do you foresee this kind of technology, GP, chat GPT or the similar versions coming out? How prevalent do you see it being in our everyday lives in the longer term? Yeah, I, I will say AI in general is here to stay. There's, a, there's too much already invested in this. And, and so I, I, I do foresee, we talked a little bit about Microsoft 365. I honestly do foresee that sometimes in the near future we'll have some level of uh, almost personal assistant, be it in professional or personal lives. Um, I know I use a version of ChatGPT on my personal life as well uh, and professional when I can. 
Uh, and so I do feel with ease and exploration of this technology further, uh, this will. This is this is here to stay. It's not going away. It's almost like back in the day when flip phones came out and and people refused to to take iPhones. They think this was outrageous and it won't last long. And look at us all. Barely anybody has flip phones anymore. So this is in the same spectrum. AI, generative AI, uh, ChatGPT, and and likes uh, uh, will stay around and it will have definitely impact in both professional and personal lives. Let's talk about some of the risks and the unknowns. I mean, this is relatively new and, and still developing in many ways technology. So let's dig into some of the things that are, are maybe still being figured out. Um, who, if anyone, is responsible when it comes to the accuracy of answers coming out of GPT? If it's basing its responses on what it's finding on the internet, we know the internet is full of both accurate and inaccurate information. Is there a reliability check of some sort? Yeah, I think ultimately your, your first question is, I think ultimately it will be us, right? I, even now, if you go and chat GPT and ask a simple question, will Elon Musk purchase Twitter? I told you earlier that it's based off of 2021 data. First time around, this was two, three months ago, the answer was pretty simply no. He, he, he will not purchase Twitter. If you ask it now, the answer is, well, my data is based off of 2021, and there's no indications that Twitter, that, that Elon Musk will purchase Twitter. As you can see, it kind of evolved in how it gave you the answer. Uh, I think over time, it will be us using this technology that we will pretty much be able to, to tell it that that answer is incorrect and, and ask for a different answer. So that's called self-learning, right? Uh, supervised learning, I think there's going to be companies, and I said already OpenAI is working on this, where they will try to tweak their models to be smarter, to be able to maybe do different prompts and maybe even them filtering out some of the data based on the sources, right? Maybe there's a source that they really don't trust and provides wrong information. Um, you know, wikis, publicly known domain where a lot of people can write their own opinions. And so that might not be a good source for Chatbot, for example, or ChatGPT to, to tap in into. So I think over time, it, the, the thing itself will hopefully fix it. But I think in general, your second question, there's always going to be a trust issues uh, with this technology uh, just because um, it is based on the data that we humans enter. Right. At the end of the day, it's all about the data that they found on the Internet and who entered that data on the Internet. It's us. So um, maybe over time, as technology evolves, uh, there's already a lot of companies that are trying to fix some of this stuff by building a counter tools to fact checked or whatever it is, uh, that it will improve, maybe get integrated. But at the end of the day, it's going to be up to us and how we look at that technology, have a look at that, those answers and how much do we really trust those answers ourselves. It's somewhat related, but I think liability goes hand in hand with that. You know, if, if a user were to ask maybe a question about a more serious topic, something health related, something financial related, and the advice that it gets ends up being, you know, not to that user's benefit. Is somebody liable for what came out of it? It's, you know, it's it's AI, it's a robot. Yeah. So I think it boils down to that it's a robot, right? And and I think a lot of these companies, uh, OpenAI did uh, ha have 
expressed their concerns when it comes to liability. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of fine print on every these applications so that you don't fully rely it. And again, understanding the technology underneath um, and how it gets this data is going to be crucial. Uh, I always say use this as your writer's block. Don't use it as a get, use this to get you started. Don't use it for finish line. That should be you. Uh, be it writing emails or whatever else you're using this technology for. Uh, and as long as we are at that mindset where it's not getting us to the finish line, but getting us started, I think we should be, we should be okay. We should be in a good shape there. But definitely, liability is a big concern. What about privacy? I'm, I'm thinking of users who are, are maybe using ChatGPT to assist them in their work and say somebody enters... Um, you know, private confidential information looking for an answer that's now been fed into this technology. Is there a risk of it being disseminated in a way that it shouldn't be? Absolutely. I think that's one of the biggest things. Uh, even here at Raymond James, we assess this uh, fairly frequently to see, is this going to be something we allow? We know many companies in our sector have blocked this technology. We know Italy as a country has blocked ChatGPT altogether because of the same concerns. We know Amazon, for example, has found their own proprietary code as inside uh, as responses to people entering and they had a uh, internal policy that says, please do not share. And our policies are the same. Here's what I'm gonna say about ChatGPT. That's no, that policy and that rule is no different than emails. If you have a policy that says do not share PHN and PIA data in an email, same rule applies to the website because this in reality is not a ChatGPT issue. This is a general issue. Um, you know, I, If I really wanted to share information, as I said, I can use email and share that information. I can go on Google and type in in search bar, you know, my personal client's PHN PII data and that's stored somewhere else as well. So um, we always say be smart, follow company policy that already exists. Uh, don't share PHRPIA data and as literally use it as a writer's block, but not as a final solution. Let's shift over to some of the creative capabilities. This is so interesting to me. ChatGPT can write its own music. It can write poetry. It can write plays. Is what comes out of it copyrighted or copyrightable? Who owns that creative material? So my answer will be answered that I know so far and that what I know now, uh, things could change, laws can be passed, but uh, you know that is definitely a concern we've seen in news, uh, a lot of buzz around this and said, these are my lyrics. Here's what, where we stand right now. Law.com, if you go to that website, uh, uh, they said we are far from having a final word on whether training AI models uh, on data sets constitutes copyright information. Now, if you do further, we've researched this on our, on, in IT as well. If you dig deeper into this, here's kind of where we fundamentally say, if, if these lyrics that, that, that the ChatGPT generates um, are based on multiple different lyrics, uh, lyrics and they're generated by this AI, then there's no really human involved in this spectrum. It's it's a computer, it's the data, it's the AI behind the scenes that generated this content. If there was a human involved in this, then it could be considered as copyright infringement. But because it reads a lot of lyrics, it will read hundreds of different lyrics, 
And based on that, it will generate its own response on a different lyrics or, you know, whatever that we are looking at, email or a book or whatever. Uh, it's still being generated by AI without no human involvement behind the scenes. And just because of that alone, at this stage today, uh, because it is truly generated by this AI, not really a human, uh, therefore we feel it's not eligible for, for any copyright infringements. Uh, and I mentioned it earlier, that's why it's called generative AI, because uh, it does generate the output based on the data that it gets behind the scenes. So, but time will tell, right? I mean, uh, right now that's the answer. A lot of uh, people are looking into this. Will the new laws be passed anytime soon that dictates otherwise, possibly, but as it stands right now, it is not considered uh, as a tool uh, that has any results of copyrighted uh, material. Let's talk for a minute about deep fakes. And for those of our listeners who may not be familiar with that term, think of a video or a photo that looks very, very real, but wasn't actually taken as a real video or a real photo. It's been manipulated, or if you want to think of something being heavily photoshopped, but you can't tell. This this very creative and capable technology, it seems like could be used to produce very realistic images or videos or what have you that weren't actually real. Have there been discussions around that? Absolutely. Um, so deepfakes are a big concern. Uh, video or audio. Audio is more than anything else because voice ID is used uh, as a security way to log in in, in some banks in, in US and Europe. Uh, there's actually an article in Weiss that somebody wrote where they used this technology to generate their own voice and through phone prompts, they were able to type what they wanted to say. The audio generation would generate their voice, and they were able to go through and pass the security. Uh, and so, but but in reality here is is that there's always counter technology to contradict or to detect deep fakes. Now, the time again in this one will say how far these bad actors will go with these deep fakes and this technology, how fast will it evolve, and will the counter technology to detect deep fakes, are they going to go the same uh, uh, speed, sort of, and, and will, will they be able to catch up or they will be able to supersede what the bad actors are doing with deep fakes? But deep fakes in general are on some content, some way fun um you know tom cruise on youtube and if you haven't seen that that's keanu reeves (laughs) yeah uh it's fun but it can be dangerous for sure let's talk a little bit more about those bad actors and and potentially some risks there i'm thinking about um email phishing or spam phone calls or things like like that where right now sometimes you can tell from the language or the wording in an email that it is not a real user or a a native speaker of your language, and that's a giveaway for many recipients. Are there concerns that those attempts can become more and more realistic and and potentially more dangerous with the use of this technology? Yeah, I think the velocity of these attacks is a concern, not really the quality of the attacks. You mentioned earlier non-English speakers right now, when they do send an email, they might not be spelled correctly, grammatically incorrect. And even though they try to be sounding like they are your financial advisors, you can quickly read and say, there's no way my financial advisor typed those paragraph paragraphs. Um, so with ChatGPT and generation of, of emails, that ends up being a really concern to us. Uh, 
uh, Raymond James is well protected in this space. Smaller companies might be at higher risk uh, because they might not have been investing in, in this technology as Raymond James IT and Cyber Threat Center did. Uh, so to us, uh, it's the velocity, but really not quality. Uh, these these bad actors that are truly capable of uh, penetrating and in, in, into uh, firm systems and in and decrypting or encrypting their data and, and uh, holding ransom and, and whatever, uh, they don't rely on ChatGPT. They know what to do. It's not just maybe getting into the system is step one, but knowing once you're in a system what to do, hackers don't have time to say, wait, I, I just got in. Let me ask ChatGPT what to do next, right? Um, and so to us, it's the, the velocity of the, these attacks that that is at risk. Um, but I, I think with ChatGPT and te equivalent technology, I do feel that we'll be able to improve. I mean, we talked early on on different sectors where this can be used. Cyber, cyber security uh, is definitely one field in IT that we can leverage this technology as well. We've touched on a handful of risks and unknowns. There are even so many more we haven't gotten to, things like you know, bias or plagiarism by students, things like that. But overall, knowing that so many of these these risks and, and un unknowns still exist, when it comes to regulation, what do you see in the future for this technology? We know AI regulation is coming. Uh, uh, Europe already started this with what's called GDPR, which stands for General Data Protection uh, Regulation. Uh, now, the question will be is how much, right? Uh, competition and competitiveness in this space is extremely important. Uh, China will not regulate as much as potentially other countries. And what what will they get out of that versus countries that do regulate AI heavily? Uh, so I think there's a competitiveness behind the scenes and leveraging this technology um, will be a factor. But we know regulation has to come in. I think um, if I can foresee something, I think it's going to be around trust. We talked about this a little bit and trusting the data and trusting the output. There might be some regulations around that. Um, but, you know, I would be very surprised if it's around usage itself. I'm so appreciative for your perspective. This is such an interesting topic. I want to wrap up with one final question for our listeners. What do you and your team plan to be watching when it comes to this technology over, say, the year ahead? There's still so much to to learn and know and uncover. What do you have your eyes on? Yeah, so I'm I'm actually uh, lucky that uh, you know we have uh, Raymond James as a company that invests in IT and has invested in my team. Uh, we've been uh, at this for about a year and a half now, and and our job, my role, and my team's role. Uh, is to prepare the company, to prepare the Raymond James on what's to come. And so we've been looking at a variety of different technologies, including, of course, ChatGPT. And I want to use this opportunity for for everybody that's listening here as well, and especially our clients and, and, and clients' clients, but our financial advisors, is to say that even though you might not hear much about what's happening in IT, uh, team that I have and the rest of the IT associates are focusing a lot in emerging technology. And if you've heard it, if they've heard it, uh, chances are almost 100% we've heard about it as well. Now, with that said, ChatGPT, as you mentioned earlier, has been blowing up in these couple of months. And so right now we are looking really at use cases. Where can we really use this? There's, there's questions around, um, you know, what is the really good use case where we can benefit from, not just, you know, Raymond James doesn't innovate for innovation's sake. 
we kind of explore this technology and see how mature it is and, and can we really use it to make our clients more efficient, more competitive. Uh, to me, I think right now the big thing is I feel uh, that personal assistant story that I just told you, uh, Microsoft uh, 365 Copilot, how can we leverage this technology? How can we apply it? How can we make this available to our associates to be more productive, to have the personal assistant next to them? So to me, what's next? Next is more. I feel a lot of a lot of new exciting stuff will be coming in. Our Raymond James IT Head of Innovation, Kemal Kvakic. Kemal, thank you again for your time today. Really appreciate you sitting down and speaking with me about this. Paige, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. You can find more episodes of For What It's Worth on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and RaymondJames.com. So be sure to subscribe. For What It's Worth, I'll see you next time. All opinions and information, including any price references or market forecasts, correspond to the recording date listed in this episode's description. Any performance figures noted do not include fees or charges, which would reduce an investor's returns. The information contained in this podcast is not research, nor does it constitute the provision of any investment, financial, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or recommendations to the listener. Raymond James and its financial advisors do not provide tax or legal advice, and you should discuss any tax or legal matters with the appropriate professional. Past performance is not an indication of future results. There is no assurance any investment strategy will be successful. Investing involves risk, and investors may incur a profit or a loss. Investment products are not deposits, not FDIC and CUA insured, not insured by any government agency, not bank guaranteed, subject to risk and may lose value. Copyright 2020 Raymond James and Associates Inc. Member New York Stock Exchange, SIPC. Copyright 2020 Raymond James Financial Services Inc. Member FINRA, SIPC. Raymond James & Associates, Inc. and Raymond James Financial Services, Inc. are affiliates of Raymond James Bank.